Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning and welcome to Empowering Family Caregiver Show on Block Talk Radio. I'm Meghna Girdar, your host for today's show, sponsored by eCareDiary.com. June is National Aphasia Awareness Month. Today, we will talk about overcoming challenges when diagnosed with the condition. Our guest today is Lauren Marks, a Los Angeles native and a New York University Tisch School of the Arts graduate. She has been an active advocate for those who live with language disorders like aphasia. She has recently been published in the Chicago Tribune and Nautilus magazine. A Stitch of Time is her first book. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hi, good morning. Can you hear me okay? Hello? Yes, I can. can you... Welcome, welcome oh, to good. the show. Hi. We're so honored to have you. <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here. Happy Aphasian Month. <laughs> Happy Aphasian Month indeed. Um, you know, we, we were looking for a guest. Um, and I'm so glad we found you because this is um, a condition that we've received a lot of questions on. Our audience members are a combination of caregivers and seniors. And in recent times, we've there, this seems to be a popular topic. So we've received a lot of queries on how to navigate the journey when you're diagnosed with the condition. So we're so glad to have you today. Um, I wanted to happy begin to talk. by... Yes, I wanted to begin by discussing with you about whether you knew other people in the aphasia community when you were diagnosed, and did you think your similar was, uh, you know, their experience was similar to them, or was it starkly different? Oh, that is an that's a, an excellent question because I was really outside of what I would consider the. Um, age group that often this affects. You know, I was only 27. Um, so I definitely didn't know anyone who had aphasia. And, um, uh, you know, not having a support group uh, kind of gave me the, this, this strange, and I wouldn't recommend this kind of opportunity, but the opportunity to kind of chart it by myself, you know, to decide what I thought aphasia mm-hmm. was. And you know, explore that as, as an idea, because I've been a PhD student, an actor um, for many, many years. So language was really at the forefront of my life. So, you know, it, it was actually kind of um, a topic of query already. You know, I cared about language and I was curious about what had happened in my language. Um, but to fast forward, you know, many years later, uh, I had moved to London with my husband and there was a really wonderful organization called Connect, and it used to be the premier aphasia center um, in all the UK. Unfortunately, it sadly um, closed down. But that was when I got my first opportunity to actually engage with a whole community of other people with aphasia. And, you know, all of my assumptions had to be challenged because it was so kaleidoscopic. You know, people just experienced it in really different ways. And I was so glad to, you know, understand suddenly that the things that happened to me didn't always happen to someone else. And um, 
I think the most pronounced thing that I sort of experienced with myophagia, and I assumed everybody else had, was it wasn't just my external language that was affected. You know, my inner monologue was, was off quite, quite, for quite a long time. So I didn't have that, like, inner monologue that says, you know, like, get up, put on your shoes, um, have a, an itinerary. Like, I just wasn't speaking to myself in language. So I thought that's what aphasia was everybody else as well you know and when I spoke to people of all ages including someone who had a, a stroke at the same time I did at, at age 27 um, she had told me that it never happened to her in fact it was an incredibly frustrating period of time I thought that time was quite quiet and meditative and she said it was the most anxious time of her life because she had this traffic of words in her head and she was trying to get them you know through the bottleneck of her mouth, and it was just, you know, constant frustration. So I was amazed. I was amazed and grateful to understand that there was just a much wider community who had, you know, something in common, but something that is so different and manifests so differently in different people. So when you started writing about language recovery, which in itself is a very fascinating topic, and then you, you know, you kind of, take it through um, aphasia and other language disorders. Um, what were you expecting and what, what did you <laughs> face, which was completely unexpected? <laughs> well, that, that is um, <laughs> that's a good way of saying that. Um, well, again, aphasia is so different with different people, but with me, I, I had both expressive and receptive issues in the beginning um, which means I didn't always know when my language was disturbed. You know, um, it took some time for that sort of monitoring to turn back on. Um, but that means like, you know, the mind is an organ of perception, right? So if there's some damage to the mind, there may be damage to your perception itself. And that is not something that even occurred to me in the earliest stages. I just thought, oh, I'm plowing through, I'm, you know, I was one, one uh, foot in front of the other, you know what I mean? Like just, you know, getting to the next mm-hmm. step. But I was probably about seven months in where I was, because I was, I was using writing, which is very common. I mean, like I said, in the aphasia center, the same. You know, writing is a great compensatory strategy if you struggle for spoken language. It's just something else you can try. It's another way to communicate with yourself, with others. And uh, I was writing in a journal, and the journal was, you know, um, it was productive. And I didn't think of it as anything other than that. But probably about seven months in, I had to have a second brain surgery. And I don't know if this was right before or right after, but I just opened my own journals. And I, I think what I thought I was going to see was, you know, my impressions, like somebody who was going through an experience. That, look at the content. What I didn't expect was the the actual words on the page were so much more fragmented than I ever imagined. You know, I, no one could have read it but me. In fact, it was hard for me to read my own pages. It wasn't it wasn't mm-hmm. intelligible. I mean, it was totally unintelligible. It was just something that I was um, amazed by, and that was first terrifying because I was like, oh, I misunderstood this whole experience. Like it was much worse than I thought. But then the next impression was like a deep curiosity. I like how how did that happen? Like what is, what is really happening right now? 
if I was like that then, how am I like now? And what will I be in the future? And that really motivated a writing life for that. You know, that, that question is so elusive and the self is a moving target was something that I actually found very motivating. And I also just want to mention this because I know a lot of the people who are going through this experience don't find that as motivating. They find it scary and they're at different parts of their lives as well. I was 27. I moved back into my parents' home. I had that support. I didn't have any children yet. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a spouse to account to or a job that I had to be at. I was in a PhD program. I mean, everything can, at that age, I was able to pause in a way that other people cannot. Again, I met people who had to, they were the, the, the primary breadwinner of their household. And that was a totally different experience. But for me, I was lucky enough to be in that place at that moment in which that could be a journey that I was able to embark upon. Terrific, Lauren. That's, that's, that's a perspective which, you know, as I was reading about this condition, that never struck me. So it's, it's like you're saying, everyone has a different experience, but there's also, I guess, a community where you can share that and then you kind of, you can kind of tweak out and get some, some things which overlap with each other. But it is fascinating how it affects different people differently. Um, you know, when it comes to interacting with people who are diagnosed with this condition, there's very little information. Um, you know, there's very little information for how care providers should be uh, communicating with mm -hmm. them or even, for that matter, the doctors or your care team or therapists. Um, uh -huh. Since you've been through this journey, what kind of advice would you provide for those who, you know, probably are also as confused as the person who's been diagnosed recently on how to kind of tackle this whole thing together? I'm so glad you asked that because um, there are so many people involved in, in the rehabilitative or medical state. Um, when you've been diagnosed with aphasia. And unfortunately, we all think we know who the experts are. <laughs> and actually, the, the field <laughs> of experts are quite limited. You know what I mean? You're, my, my speech therapist was, you know, that's the ground zero. That's the person who can give you the most um, tailored approach to what do you do with your new life. Mm -hmm. um, but, but you would think, you know, your surgeon would also have some knowledge of this condition, but, you know, my surgeon, you know, when I had to go in for a, a checkup said, you know, are you going back to work now? And at that time I couldn't even read like three sentences in a row. You know, I was a PhD student, I was an actor, like my entire life was totally upended. And the fact that he was asking me if I was going back was just, I mean, <laughs> I, I think I was almost, I was both baffled and then like angry and then humiliated. Like, why am I not there yet? You know what I mean? <laughs> And, um, and I just want to, first of all, get people that, that permission to be like, people don't know what they're talking about <laughs> unless they live with this <laughs> with a loved one or in themselves. Like, assume that their assumptions are wrong. You know, the best kind of speech therapist is the one who is not going by a prescribed list of things that they have to check off. Now, some of that is necessary because, you know, testing is important, being rigorous about care is important, but the best kind of speech therapists are the ones that will look at you and engage with you and, and try to figure out what are your points of curiosity. 
I mean, when I speak to speech therapists and and them who and those who are in training for it, I say different things to different communities, right? When people have aphasia, I say different things than I say to people who who are training to uh, care for those people in a therapeutic sense. And I say to them, like, don't assume that you know how they are feeling. Because a very empathetic speech therapist will often just think, this is the worst time of their life. I'm meeting them at the worst day of their life, and I've got to help. Now, that's appropriate in many states. Many people feel that way. They feel lost, despairing. But a brain is so, it's so mysterious, and it's so interconnected. And when a mind is being changed, like, that's fertile ground. You know, some people may be excited by this change, you know, this, this change in their mind. And, and be aware of their curiosity. See what interests them, motivates them. If it means like card games, fine. If it's gardening, fine. If it's short stories that you can read together and try to analyze themes, fine. Like whatever it is, don't assume that, you know, what they want to do is to order a cup of coffee tomorrow at their favorite coffee shop. Maybe that's exactly what they want to do. Maybe that's their first exciting reason to be in speech therapy. But don't assume that they are depressed or, or um, unmotivated or they need only your guidance. Because the, the same thing as children and teens and people after strokes is, is very similar, which is like look for their self-motivation. Don't try to, you know, layer in what you think they need because their lives may be different. You know, if they had been a broadcaster on the BBC and now they want to be a gardener, like don't try to keep getting them to a state that they don't care about anymore. Care about what they care about. And, and as, a, as a, a person who's more intimate as opposed to someone who's not a therapist, someone who is a um, – a spouse or a child or a loved one of someone with aphasia, I mean, that is so much harder, right? I can give a, some kind of advice, but I just want to be careful to be understanding, which is like, it's not easy for anybody. It wouldn't be easy for me if I had to have that change in someone I love, you know? Um, but the same kind of thing is, is the same kind of advice, which is see what their new points of curiosity are. They may not be exactly as, as they used to be. Um, and that's hard for you because you have a vision of them, of things that you love from them and expect from them. Um, but it's a, it's a huge challenge. And, um, and if, if you want to do it side by side, you know, you have to kind of really be present focused. And that's hard because the demands of your day, of the, the things that you need from the house and the, the bills that need to be paid – but, I mean, if you want to engage with your partner or your loved one in a way that is authentic, you, know, you have to be with them in the present tense and, and, and figure out, you know, if there are big changes and how you can work on those together. When I was in the aphasia center, um, obviously I was so impressed by everybody who cared for the people they brought in, you know, again, father, mother, spouse. But almost the first bit of advice people on the staff would say would be like, why don't you go have a cup of coffee around the corner? Because um, this, it's so common that when someone is slowing down, someone else is speeding up. You know what I mean? Because, you know, if you're a spouse, 
used to be the breadwinner and you have to do everything now. Like you, you tend to do double time or triple time, especially, but that's so challenging with aphasia because that's when someone can't understand you anymore. You know, we, we really struggle on the inside to just recalibrate. Um, and, and a lot of loved ones will even allow their, 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 their point of um, contact to speak for them just because it's, you know, out of, out of time constraints. But, you know, people have to work at their own speed and grow at their own speed. And, and, um, and when we would allow someone to speak for themselves when they'd been allowing their partner um, or loved one to speak for them, you know, a huge growth happens in short periods of time. So I, I just, I, I, like I said, I, I want to be empathetic because it's not simple and it's not easy uh, and it wouldn't be easy for me. But um, th- those are the things that I, I notice to be the most productive is finding being present tense to deal with in curiosity and allowing someone to find their own speed as opposed to what you need from them at your own speed. Thank you so much, Lauren. This is a wonderful range of information that you've provided, and I'm sure so many of our listeners and audience members have benefited um, from the tips that you've shared with us. I would love to share your website URL with our listeners um, so that they can get more information about you, your journey, and ways to overcome and deal with aphasia. Um, the best way to reach Lauren is through her website, which is a stitchoftime.com. I'd love to thank our audience for tuning in today. Tune in next time for our Caregiver Speak radio show on June 18th at 2 p.m. Eastern. Our caregiving expert, Marjorie Papp-Steinmetz, will be speaking to doctors Barry Jacobs and Julia Meyer about the five best ways to manage your caregiving marathon. To learn more about eCare Diary and our upcoming shows, visit our website, Registration is free and gives you immediate access to your personal care diary tool. Lauren, did you have to? Sh- did you want to share something else? No, no. Just wanted to thank you for having me on. Oh, really okay. enjoyed it. Same here, and thank you so much once again. Um, as all our listeners know, the radio show will be archived, so all those who've missed it can listen to it very soon. We will be posting on social media, so you're aware when. Um, the radio show is ready for listening. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. My Twitter address is on eCare underscore diary. Thank you once again, Lauren. Have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.